0: A scripture reading for this morning is Psalm 16. Protect me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the holy ones in the land, they are the noble in whom is all my delight. Those who choose another God multiply their sorrows. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names upon my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The boundary lines are fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a goodly heritage. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I keep the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body also rests secure. For you do not give me up to show, or let your faithful one see the pit. You show me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore.
1: We welcome you today to Western Park Baptist Church on this Thanksgiving Sunday, and we trust that, uh, in the midst of rising numbers in the pandemic and with the COVID situation, that we still might uh, be mindful of God's goodness to us. What does that What does that mean for us? What does God's goodness say to us when we're in the midst of these challenging days? So, um, it's a good opportunity for us to think through, and we. Um, do encourage you and hope that uh, and pray that your time this weekend will be uh, one that, in its own way, is encouraging and helpful for you. We're going to uh, take a break from our series on Who is Jesus just for this week and um, focus on the theme of thanksgiving and gratitude. And to help us here, we're going to look at Psalm 16. It's an early psalm of David uh, when he is just a young person, really, and he is on the run. He's on the move because King Saul uh, is jealous of him and is chasing him, indeed wants to kill him. So this uh, psalm comes out of those early experiences. So if we think of the setting, David on the run in the wilds of the hills of Judah and being uh, chased by King Saul and his his men. So we begin then, verses 1 and 2, the statement, Protect me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. So it focuses with David's awareness that God ultimately is his refuge. So in the beginning of this psalm, the first six verses, we see this single-minded focus on um, keeping God central. And I think of this theme, I'm always reminded of Kierkegaard's book, Purity of Heart, which is a challenge to stay single-minded. He calls it to will one thing, to not be double-minded, but to be and will one thing. And That's a challenge because we, all of us, I struggle with double-mindedness, of my head swirling about in different ways. And David's emphasis here is to keep your focus on God to will one thing. So we see it in this word refuge. Find our refuge in God to totally depend on him uh, regardless of what's going on. So in verse one, we see that uh, David refers to God as Yahweh. And then second, in verse two, to Lord and Uh, The word God is Yahweh, verse 1, 2, Lord is Adonai, which means my master, Uh, the one that I look to, I am dependent on you. Uh, It's a master-servant relationship, but it's a master who is kind and and loving uh, towards the individual. And David's response here is, I look to you, Adonai, I look to you as my master, the one who is there for me, who I can depend on, uh, who is faithful to me. That's where David begins. And so it's it's a relational term, master-servant. And so it it reminds us of David speaking from his presence to the presence of God. And and this is the, the big challenge for all of us throughout our lives. It is to recognize God as a you. God is not just some ethereal presence out there, some mystical cloud, God is a you. And we, we, we respond to him, me to God, two yous going back and forth. That, that's the dynamic and, and David knows that. He's speaking to God who is in relationship with him. He is my refuge, so he says. So it's to find God, in his presence, in our lives, and particularly, where do we we look? Well, we are invited to look within, because that's the best place to find God, not out there, but within. To find his voice inside, C.S. Lewis tells the story of the Russian, early Russian cosmonauts, who went into orbit, this is a true story, and and as they're out there, they, they, they say they're going to go out there into space and look for God, and when they come back, they say, you know what, we didn't find God, we didn't see God, so God's not real. This is the atheistic communist perspective back in the early days. Where is God? We didn't see him, so we proved he's not there. And Lewis's comment is, well, to look for God out there, that's that's not really the best place to begin. It's also to look within. It's the interior glance. It's to find God rising up in the midst of who we are. God is my refuge. So that's where David begins. And then he says in verses 5-6, we'll just jump ahead a little bit, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup, you hold my lot. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a goodly heritage. So that language may sound a bit puzzling to us as moderns, but actually it's it's the language of the book of Joshua. It's the language of the tribes of Israel coming into the promised land for the first time, and Joshua is dividing up the land under God's direction, and each of the tribes receive their portion their allotment. That's your area of the promised land. And so David uses that language. He calls God my portion, my lot, boundary lines, goodly heritage. This is all language that's coming out of the book of Joshua. And again, it's God's place for me, for us, for our tribe. This is God's gift to us. So it speaks of God's goodness. So God is my refuge and he is a good God who blesses us if we are indeed mindful of God's blessings. And so in this Thanksgiving season we are encouraged to look up and to be mindful of God's blessings. not to just think of the the bad things. You know we've said before that in any given week ten things may happen and, and most of them will be good not bad. So be mindful of the good things and not fixate on those things. That may be challenges to us. So it's living under the hand of God, the language of Proverbs, not to fixate on our compulsions, our distractions, to fixate on entertainment, but to realize that God is my creator, God is my savior, and that he is there for me, he's there for you in this time of thanksgiving, even in the midst of a pandemic. That's a statement. I mean, David was being chased by King Saul and all his men and wants to kill him. That's pretty serious, but yet he's able to write these words. So your situation, my situation is probably not any worse than King David's or David's at that point. But yet he looks up and he praises God for who he is. So that's the first half of the psalm. And then the second half of the psalm, we see the actual blessings that... Uh, David writes and speaks of. So we hear in verses 7 and 8, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I keep the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. So the first blessing that David speaks of in verse 7 is the blessing of God's guidance. God leads me God gives me counsel in the night he instructs me, he says. So counsel is the opposite of worry. Worry is when I take it all upon myself and think that I've got to figure it all out myself. And we forget that God is there for us. He is a you. He is God. He is your God. And he will indeed lead you and direct you. He's interested in your life. He will guide. So worry is the opposite. Here are the words of Psalm 127, verse 2. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives sleep to his beloved. It is vain. Feverish activity is not the solution. We, you know, we're not to be like spinning tops and, and feeling like ah, I've got to keep all the balls in the air from falling. It's all up to me. It's all up to me. And we forget that God is there for us as individuals and also as a church, a community of faith. God is there for us. We look to him. It's not up to us just to kind of figure out whatever the strategies might be, but to look and listen for God's voice. That is number one. So for you, are you, am I reading, are we reading the word of God? I mean, that's, that's you know, a Protestant principle, a standard, to be attentive for each person not just the priest, not just the minister to read, but each of us, you read, I read. To hear God's word, to receive his counsel, that is where David goes. And then you hear in verse 7, we have the language of heart. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. The word heart, which is used in the NRSV and the NIV, actually is the word for rains or for our kidneys. And the, the language in KJV is actually more literal here at this point. And in the Jewish mindset, that, that stood for the center of our emotions, our affections. Deep within my gut, I sense God's movement in my life. And today, we might say, it, it speaks to our consciousness. It speaks to our thinking and reminds us that God is adult to adult. He is communicating his message to you and to me, and we receive it in our mind, in our hearts, but ultimately our consciousness. And it's a celebration that really our mind, your mind, that's the greatest gift that God gives us. He gives us our mind He gives us the ability to think and understand and be persons and to relate to God as person to person. That is principally what it means to be made in God's image, God's mind. It's a great gift. And that mind is to be aware of God in all that we do and not to be distracted by everything else. This is to be mindful of God's guidance. And sometimes you know, we put that off, I think, because we say, well, God can't really be that interested in me. Seven and a half billion people on planet Earth, why, why would he be interested in me? And then we say, well, if God's interested in me, then, then what about the next person? How does he keep all that straight? Well, that, that, that's us thinking. That's the human thinking. God reveals himself to us in such a majestic way that he is able to relate to us all as persons, and that comes back to faith. Do we have the faith to understand and believe that God is the good God who counsels us? David does, that's where he begins. Secondly, in verse eight, we hear that God gives us stability. He gives us a sense of equanimity, to keep things in balance. I keep the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved, a picture of stability. In my diving days out in the waters, I've been on lots of boats and the boats get in the, the waves and they start rocking back and forth. It's crazy and you feel it. I feel it anyway in my mind, my consciousness and my stomach. I know that things are unstable. So one of the things you do is you look for a boat with a wide beam that gives you more stability in the water. And that's what David in his own way is saying. God gives me stability so that I am not tossed about like a boat on the waves. We hear that in the language of James 1, 5 to 8. You can look that up. Not rocking about, not being in the waves and being tossed about here and there, but to be mindful of God's goodness, to recognize his presence, stability, equanimity, to find God's presence, to listen to his voice in silence, to give him praise and worship. All All of that is about knowing our own equanimity before God and God in us to give us stability. So whatever your practice is that will enable you to sense God's presence, people will talk about the value of meditation. Just a few minutes at the beginning of every day, just to be quiet. To recognize, okay, God is with me in this day as I launch out into the waters, into the deep, and God is with you and God is with me. And David senses that even as he's being chased by King Saul and his armies. God is there for me, his presence with me, with you. So we have guidance, we have stability. And then we have this wonderful statement, verses 9 and 10 Therefore, my heart is glad, and my soul rejoices. My body also rests secure. And note, for you do not give me up to Sheol, or let your faithful ones see the pit. So here, David is making this remarkable statement that God gives me life, God gives me ongoing life, God gives me resurrection life. He will not abandon my soul to the pit. And we see in verse nine, we hear this inclusive language, just here at NRSV reads in verse nine, note, therefore my heart is glad, and my soul rejoices, and my body also rests secure. All the parts of who I am, as they understood themselves in that day, heart, soul, body. God gives me life in my heart, soul, and body. All of me, all of you, God is there for you and that he will not abandon us to Sheol. So this text, very important in verse 10, because it's picked up in the New Testament. Both Peter picks it up and Paul picks it up. Peter in the Pentecost sermon, Acts 2, 25 to 28, bases his whole sermon in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Christ is not abandoned to Sheol or to hell, Hades. And then Paul picks up the same idea in his message to the Christians in Antioch Or to the the audience, Acts 13, 34, the same thing. Same verse, verse 10, For you do not give me up to Sheol, or let your faithful ones see the pit. So it's picked up in the New Testament. And it speaks of life. The life that we receive in Jesus Christ. So we are not left in corruption. We are raised to life. That's, That's the idea. Verse 10. We are not left in corruption. We are raised to life. So I like the statement by Kidner, who says, just this short phrase, For God is not one to give up his friends. For God is not one to give up his friends. Next week, we're going to look at John chapter 15, where Jesus says that we are his friends. We are friends of God. We are friends of Christ. The Holy Spirit lives within us. We are friends. And friends do not want to cut it off so we never see them. Friends want to have an ongoing relationship. And so God is not one to give up his friends. It speaks of resurrection life. Last week we talked about John 14, 6, where Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we remember that life is both where we are going, destination, and life is also root. We receive life as we are on the way of life. That's Jesus on the way of life. And we travel with Jesus on the way of life. So we know his resurrection life. So there is some awareness of this reality, even with King David, a thousand years before Christ. That God is my friend. And somehow I trust and depend on him and lean on him that he is there with me and with you, even with us in this days of Thanksgiving and pandemic. So the third piece, resurrection life. And then finally, we see this and we hear this in verse 11. You show me the path of life, there we go again. In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore, a famous verse, Psalm 16, verse 11, the last verse. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Jesus is the way. He leads us to God, leads us to paradise, leads us to this place of rest then and now because we're already on the way. The presence of joy. So can I say that God, wants to give to you joy. God wants to give to you happiness. Can we know happiness, joy, in the midst of our pandemic? It all depends on our view, how we view the world. If I view the world with just all the troubles out there, then I probably will not feel much joy. I'll always just see the problems. I won't have much happiness. But God is on your side and he actually wants you to be happy. He wants that. He wants you to be happy, he wants me to be happy. So can we live our life in such a way that we live in his presence so that we know his joy and the happiness of God the divine family, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, happy with one another. He wants us to move into that reality. That's the invitation. But it's all based on faith. If we have no faith, then happiness seems just like a shot in the dark. How can we ever get it? But faith leads to hope. And hope reminds us that death is not the end. We've been talking about that. And then that is to be demonstrated in a life of love. Faith, hope, love. Faith, hope, love. 1 Corinthians 13. It all comes down to faith, hope, love. If I have faith and I can go forward in hope and realize that even as one grows older and as pain and suffering starts to become more a reality, even then we can have hope can have more hope because we're closer to the end. Indeed, we're becoming more like Jesus, the suffering servant. He suffered. We will have our suffering. Death and suffering kind of go together, but that's not the end. In fact, in your suffering, you can become more like Christ if we have a mindset to see that, to hear it. And that becomes real as we live our lives in love. If you are living your life in love, then you will be happy. It's as clear as that. If you are always angry and you see other people as enemies, then you're not going to know much happiness. But if you live in love, agape love, reaching out to others in love, then you will know happiness and joy. Faith, hope, love go together. So the psalmist brings all these themes together and he's offering it to us. And so it comes down really what is our horizon? What fills our horizon? Your horizon in the morning, your horizon at night. Family living out in Winnipeg, they call it big sky country because it's so flat and the blue is incredibly blue. It fills the entire horizon. What fills your horizon, my horizon? Is it fear? Is it anxiety? Is it hopelessness? Is it pain? What fills your horizon? Well, for the psalmist, his horizon is filled with God as my refuge. And because he is my refuge, he blesses. He is kind. He is merciful. To have a conscious awareness that God is with you, with me. Faith, hope and love. And he will never forsake his friends. He will never forsake you as his friend. Never. He's always there. And he will bring us through to the place of rest and peace and indeed equanimity. So that's what Psalm 16 is about. It's an unbroken, unending relationship with God's compassionate love. His presence with us revealed in Jesus Christ lives within us through the enlivening Holy Spirit. And in all of that we can say thanks and praise be to God. He is with you, with me, in this Canadian Thanksgiving. May we hear and receive God's words to us from Psalm 16. And I offer these words in Jesus' name. Amen.